Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Tufts has a uh, an alert that they can send out to like all of the classrooms and computers in case of a leak uh, at the chem lab. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We were in uh, we were in lecture, and then suddenly my professor's computer like it was almost like you know when uh, they send out those amber alerts and everybody uh, gets them on their phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that suddenly on the computer that was on the network and it was like there has been a leak at the Tufts chem lab and you're just like all right well i guess we'll just keep going right class what do you do about that do you leave i mean it's if it's not near you like how do you respond you just kind of ignore it yeah i mean we're in we're in the art history building um which I I don't know what the worst accident it is that can happen there. Like it's not like something can leak from the pages, other than history. I, I suppose. God, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> You're getting to that point where I'm like, man, I'm right. gonna jump on it faster. Right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> did you ever encounter anything dangerous at school? Like, were you ever in like a a physics or chemistry class that that you had to even uh... handle something? potentially harmful um well yes for sure i mean i think in high school definitely with like whatever chemicals we had to do some labs with and it was definitely not great i think in college more and it was probably because Mm. like um there were definitely some osha violations happening before we had to clean all that up in terms of like being in the printmaking studio so i definitely have like exposure to acid and like other chemicals that was not safe like none of that was okay that is that is the wild thing there was there's such a um there's so much precaution in certain classes with certain material versus what other people have like being in a chemistry class where you have a lab component there's so much caution that it's like even if we have super diluted hydrochloric acid yeah you know they still expect you to be wearing goggles gloves and you know because like obviously they're they're preparing you for presumably getting into more dangerous stuff they want you to right. be prepared but then if you go into uh, a a geology class they're passing around with bare hands um a pipette full of hydrochloric acid during an exam so you can test the materials to see what the rock composition is and it's you know that. spilling on the table oh and my God. wiping it up you're wiping it up with a paper towel right and... oh jesus yeah that like... is horrifying <laughs> yeah no and i will say the one the one precaution they take is the one that gives away the answer of what the mineral is. You're like, huh, I which 
I wonder which one of these uh, minerals that they're passing around is asbestos. Could it be the one that is clumsily zipped up in a uh, in like a, a Ziploc right? sandwich bag? Should have just zipped them all in bags. It would have made everything more interesting. Right, but then how do you how do you lick the ones that you're supposed mm. to lick to identify them? We have and to then... have better techniques nowadays than that. I come on. Mm. Now you see, Joe. One day you're gonna come out, um, you know, doing the rock hound thing with me and the paleo people, right? And right. you're gonna see <laughs> a bunch of people tromping around licking rocks. Right. I forgot yeah. about that, as we've learned here mm-hmm. as well. I'm just gonna be like that guy from. Uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie or whatever from like Yukon Cornelia. Yes, I'm just gonna lick my pickaxe the whole time just to see if oh I my taste gold. Oh my god! That, I'll grow my amazing, beard and everything. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. The but then you take it up a notch to art where there's so many solvents. There's the yeah. acid baths. There's so many chemicals if you work in like analog photography. Oh god, yeah. There's so much, so much stuff and fumes. If you're in mm. painting and printmaking, um, there's, uh, there's really a lot of hazards yeah. in ceramics. You oh know, yeah. yeah, like dust and there was like this machine that we used. It was an old, old dough mixing machine, like from a bakery. Right. Uh, it was like the size of a kind of like this about a little smaller than a dumpster. Okay. And with these big like arms uh and and stirrers like churning around inside of it that we would use to mix the clay. And you're just tossing stuff into mm. it. But like, you know, every now and then you have the intrusive thought of like, oh god, what if I got caught in there, you know, and yeah. like now I'm the clay. <laughs> <laughs> just stick your hand in it. It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> There's there's definitely a conversation to be had about insurance, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. That, that maybe they'll have to have that one day. Right. Now, how does that work now being on a raft, Zan? How is that? Mm. Um, how does insurance well, come this, into play this now? Part, this is part of my lifelong um, ambition to always be dressed, uh, prepared for an adventure that could strike mm. at any moment. <laughs> Are you just going to shop at REI forever? Just so you're no. ready? Well, no, I just I I like to think that, you know, me in a uh me in a blousey button-up shirt mm. and boots. Like I right. just I want to walk out the front door every day no matter where I am and if something was to happen, yeah. I would be at least visually ready. <laughs> You're um I got you. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's, a way to look it's at it. we're, we're not in Montana. It's not as chill to walk around with a knife on your hip, but right. I do what I can. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I think that's all we mm-hmm. really can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yes, you noticed we're on a raft, and I there did. is no sight of land anywhere. No, else. no. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Well, that's because I wanted to bring us on a very special tour today. That's really a, a tour of the world. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, the Zan World Tour. <laughs> um. And <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today is the peopling of the pacific ocean but as sort of an entry point to talk about how ancient peoples traveled the oceans in general and how people got so 
far, seemingly pretty early on, as, as soon as, you know, humans left the Rift Valley, it seems like we've managed to get to almost every nook and cranny of the planet. Yeah. Uh, and, and leave behind some kind of material culture, even if people are no longer living there. I think really the right. only exception is antarctica unless you believe in hyperboreans or you know <laughs> who knows like we, we uh, yeah. could one day find some archaeology that suggested that though unlikely mm. that you know there's been uh like a, a some kind of permanent settlement down there but yeah. more specifically i wanted to talk about the the thing that something that we know happened uh -huh. But when we look at it, it just seems kind of insurmountable. It's like mm. looking at something like a car and you try to imagine all of the steps necessary in order to even f facilitate the invention of such a thing that you can right. understand looking at uh, an incredibly complex piece of technology, you you have to look at it in incremental stages that allowed people to develop to that point. Right. And we can, we have to really approach navigation in this way, because this is a technology that predates a lot of what, what we sort of associate with navigating now, you know, uh, with e even just the compass, like, you have to realize how much people were exploring and traveling prior to that and mm. to some extent also understand their limitations the pacific ocean is so vast and there are so many small islands scattered with hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles between them and yet we find archaeological evidence of people on all of them and there's a couple of different ways, you know, we could explain this, you know, sort of in a similar way to like, like, uh, how, how did how did tortoises end up on the Galapagos? Well, you know, enough tortoises get washed out to sea, enough iguanas get washed out to sea on rafts of vegetation. Some of them die, some of them end up on the islands and eventually evolve there. Hmm. Uh Interesting. You, you can have stuff like that where, you know, maybe there were some people that were set adrift. But what we find in the Pacific Islands is it seems like people were intentionally, deliberately colonizing these islands. And that uh, is evident of a very sophisticated navigational technology that existed thousands of years ago. Whoa. That we really have to consider when we look at um at, at human development. Now, when we've talked quite a bit about, you know, ancient seafaring people. Uh mm. you know, we, we talked about the sea people. We did. This is true. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 potentially as a as a Sardinian, mm -mm. you are potentially a, a POC, a person of the sea. I was on edge for a few seconds, Sam. I was really like, oh my god, don't please don't say it. Like please I am I am what you would call a person of the sea, yes, a Mediterranean sea for sure. Uh <laughs> I guess well, I mean the other option is to say a POS, but that that stands for something. No, else. it's different. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> 
I was hanging out with uh, this guy once who was, he, he ran a lot of the open mics and this, this one comedian got down off the stage and was talking to him uh, for, for a while and mm-hmm. uh, was like, he said, I really love your pants. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's a really nice, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I just really love, you know, colored pants. And the the comedian who who was black was like, uh, it's like it's pants of color. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so what we have to remember though about a lot of Mediterranean, really European uh, exploration is in ancient times it was almost entirely all within sight of land. Yes. Yes. And that you know that that's really the reality to remember about a lot of that voyaging and you could say well with the way that europe is situated and the mediterranean sea is situated there's not really like that pressure to develop beyond that because really mm-hmm. you can hug the coastline of the mediterranean sea and and its islands and you can get pretty far you can oh yeah get to a lot of different stuff you might want and people you might want to trade with or you know in in the case of the sea people uh you know just S- steal <laughs> yeah, steal. <laughs> <laughs> so what we see in the pacific though is you are suddenly completely surrounded by water there is right. no way to get to these uh islands without going into open ocean and this is something that europeans just did not do right uh for for a very long time i mean it was difficult even with the invention of the compass and uh you know more sophisticated cartography to even figure out uh what longitude you were at Mm, um yeah you know with uh, do do you actually know how they figured out how they could calculate it? Um, once uh, European uh, explorers started venturing further into the Atlantic, you know, at one point I did. I can't say I do remember. Um, yeah. but how do they do it? Well, okay, you can figure out just by the sun. You can figure out latitude pretty easily. You know, they mm-hmm. all they all knew the Earth was round. Every everyone, every human civilization right. figured spoiler that. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> except except um some some people you know who rediscovered the flat Earth, I guess twenty years ago or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So as soon as people figured out the Earth was round, it with the sun you could pretty easily figure out what latitude you were at you know how high or low you are uh, on the earth how far away you are from the poles longitude is a little more difficult to figure out because the earth is turning all the time so uh, you will at some point always have the sun at the same angle if you're traveling perfectly east or west Mm. um what they ended up doing and this you know, shows how late in the development they were able to figure this out was they had to use clocks. They would have two oh, wow. clocks on board the ship. Um, one clock would hold the time, the local time of wherever they left. So you start your watch in, you know, wherever you, you know, birth the ship. You're you're sailing from uh, somewhere in the UK. You know, you're on Greenwich time. 
you sail away and you start sailing into the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Now, if you can keep that original clock wound and keeping time, uh, it will stay in sync with what time it is back in England. But now your second clock, um, because you have a, you have stuff like sextants and compasses, you can determine when noon is. Oh. Uh, so all you have to do is you keep going west, keep going west, check what time. Okay, now we know it is noon right now. And if it's noon now and it's three o'clock back in England, we now know that we've, you know, moved three time zones. Whoa. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that this was this was a revolutionary, you know, uh realization of what people could do. Uh and there there's been a lot written about this and it, you know, it's, you know, again, fairly late in the game of human yeah. development. Right. But it it allowed for this very sophisticated thing and it also shows, you know, just that the 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 concept of time that was important to them and how that has been implemented across the earth. Right. Now. Makes sense. So mm. without that technology, how do you how do you do this? How how are you not just completely adrift at sea? Mm. You know, there were um and, and also how do you travel with intention? Right. That's a good point. There had been experiments to suggest how people traveled the open ocean you know uh in you know even in earlier days of archaeology because you know it's evident that people were traveling mm -hmm. um have you ever heard of contiki yeah 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 yeah, yeah. thor uh hager hager law oh, that hager law sure hager yeah law? yeah um yeah, he who was an archaeologist and, you know, clearly going off of the the Norwegian or Scandinavian uh, drive to uh, <laughs> sail, sail the seas. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, just basically went used a raft and very rudimentary tools to show that uh, humans could basically just use currents to yeah. travel. Yes. Yeah. But what we see is that. We find evidence for colonization of the Pacific Islands in a couple of different ways. I'm going to be mainly talking about a group of people called uh, Lapita, or the, the Lapita people, Lapita mm. culture. Um, this is a Polynesian uh, group that we, ha we don't have a lot of physical bodies for, uh, you know, in terms of archaeology. Um, we do have scant evidence of their material culture, hmm. but what we see is that they're very widespread among a bunch of islands in the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, Southeast Asian islands. You find them, you know, sort of seemingly originating out of Papua New Guinea. You find them the Solomons, uh, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, New Caledonia, Oh, wow. Uh, this is, you know, a this is a really impressive cultural range with a lot of really spread out tiny islands. Um, now, I, I took a class, a Pacific Island archaeology class in undergrad, 
Hmm. Um, when I was uh, actually studying abroad at the uh, University of Queensland in Australia. And the professor, you know, had spent, you know, years and years doing this, you know, <laughs> basically these archaeological digs that take place on these tropical islands, you know, oh, you wow. just spend months at a time sifting through sand. One thing to kind of remember about these people is the stuff that you're looking for is not going to be, um, you know, there, there's no metal works. There's no glass. Right, right. You're not going to be able to find the material culture that would be evident, uh, that, that would be left behind as evidence for other peoples uh, on Earth. Mm, uh, and, you know, this, we'll, we'll get into it in a moment, but, you know, this is also sort of the, the issue of trying to organize human development around technologies uh right certain material technologies that this is a culture that has ex clearly extremely sophisticated navigation but does not have glass or metallurgy gotcha okay they they don't even really have stone to you know mine on a lot of these islands one particular technology that they have and this is you know sort of a testament to human ingenuity a lot of their tools a lot of their adzes which you know is sort of a a tool similar to an axe but a little bit more um uh designed to process uh uh you know uh the the cores out of trees and fruits and vegetables rather than um uh chop them down uh their adzes are made from giant clamshells whoa yeah because if you mm. think about it if you're on sandy islands that have that don't have any strong stone you know there's no uh there's no granite uh right to, to, to make tough stone out of there's no marble there's no there's no metamorphic rock mm. uh what what do you do when all you have is sandy beaches and low quality stone you go for the hardest thing you can find a giant clamshell. That'll do it, and honestly. Yeah. The other thing they did have was pottery. And oh. this is how we are able to spot Lapita culture. I say we, I mean archaeologists, of which I am not. Um, <laughs> an enthusiast. <laughs> You're an enthusiast. I'm I'm an I'm barely an enthusiast. I mean, I think even among people that we know, considering that I'm into paleontology and I fight okay. quite often to distinguish between those things. Right, right, gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, I I I have I have so much privilege in the world, but I also, you know, live uh you know trying to gauge when to correct people mm. to say you're into archaeology gotcha you're like, and well, you have to figure out how to you know hold, when and where to hold your tongue you know you just got to say well yeah i mean if dinosaurs made pottery then sure <laughs> <laughs> that'll get them then then i'm your guy uh okay so but the, the the pottery is actually how the lapita were kind of first uh identified Mm. They have a very specific uh, um, patterning that you will find on some of their ceramic remnants. Interesting. The name Lapita comes uh, from actually a dig back in 1952 on New Caledonia. Uh, the it, it came from a uh, a local word uh, Zapita, 
Hmm. I, I had hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Zapita. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but it basically means to dig a hole. Oh. Um, and they sort of found this cache, uh, this buried uh, pottery. Um, and what's amazing is we find that pottery all across all of these far flung islands. Now, this has a couple of implications, uh, mainly kind of being that um, you have to have multiple trips in order yeah. to maintain a material culture like this. True. Uh, yeah. If you follow the Contiki or, you know, just sort of being set adrift hypothesis that a lot of people had because, you know, from a European perspective, you're looking at these people and you're like, you know, they don't have this, they don't have that. How, you know, th this had to be by accident. This had to be, you know, um, people just that, that, that went adrift and those individuals that washed up on these islands uh, just, you know, uh, populated them from there. That like, that basically all of these islands are made up of shipwrecked, the descendants of shipwrecked people. Hmm. But what what the colonization aspect and the the um the the consistency of the pottery, what you're seeing is a minimum of three trips, even Whoa. minimum. You're seeing one. They have to discover the islands there. Hmm. True. Then they have to go back and tell more people. So they have to find their way back home from where they went. And then they have to travel again and find their way back to that island. So the yeah, uh, yeah this That's... you you start you start to reverse engineer it and you realize no these people were deliberately going back and forth, um, spreading their uh, spreading sort of their their dominion over this uh, this corner of the Pacific Ocean. That's. That is really crazy. Wow. I mean, and, and it makes total sense when you really start to mm -hmm. think about it, but it is this like, you know, we remove the guns, germs, steel perspective on the mm -hmm. way that people evolve and why geography matters. But this is really incredible to hear mm -hmm. as well. Like just thinking about that too. It's like, man, you know, imagine just driving across the country with nothing, like no mm -hmm. idea, but and not even a road, <laughs> right? I mean, a car metaphor right. doesn't really work here, but you get what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, I guess it like, doesn't imply. They're not going to try to drive, you know, to 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 get yeah. their boat to go to, you know, the Pizza Hut at the one island. They, they have to remember how to get there, you know. But... Right, right. You've, 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 I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's hard enough to, you know. I mean, uh, there would be so many places while we were living in Italy that, like, I saw <laughs> once and I felt like I could never find again. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and you have to, that's an, like, because I don't know if that happened with you, and I know this seemed to be, like, a shared experience where you walk enough in a city in Italy, specifically, mm -hmm. like, Florence, let's say, you will memorize it, and you'll just yeah. know where to go, Yeah, which is very yeah. fascinating, too. Like, it's not like you, mm -hmm. you had to look at a map, maybe once or twice in the beginning to get a head start, mm -hmm. but eventually you just find your footing, and you're like, okay, that's this place, and that's, right. I remember this yellow building with the dog outside, I remember yeah. that, and you pick up on those cues, mm -hmm. so I, I mean... In using that as our metaphor to jump off of, I wonder, like, were there, I mean, you're in open ocean as we see now, mm -hmm. right? There's kind of nothing, but was there, mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine you might jump into star charts, but I'm wondering if there was anything that they could physically see that was a way to guide in that way, or like, how, mm. how did they do this? Right. Well, I'm so glad you asked. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
if I can monologue for a moment, yeah, we of course. Throw around the phrase "we can only imagine" in mm. reference to ancient peoples as they embarked into places they'd never been to before. What we should remember is is at at this point in history, they were physiologically humans mm. at that point and had access to the same sensations we do. When we say that we can quote unquote only imagine. We're harnessing the same powerful tool of bending the world to humanity's ambition. We can imagine the wonder and terror of the open Pacific Ocean thousands of years ago. Um, you mentioned star charts. That is one of the things that they were using. They uh, had a very uh, uh, deep uh, and sophisticated understanding of astronomy you know in order to be able to tell direction at night but again that only works at night you know right, and you do yeah. a good bit of your sailing during the day you'd like to think mm -hmm. um you know there there's definitely some different ideas of like okay well maybe they just sort of hitched it to a current you know and just rode the wave there but if you you know, had the thousands of years of expansion that these guys did, because we're talking five to six thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. OK, this is this. This is <laughs> ancient, uh, ancient. This is ancient, ancient that we see this sort of first expansion. It's amazing. Um, and what we what th this this kind of wasn't until more recently discovered because it was never written down you know mm. in in civilizations where you do not have written language it's really more you know it's not only just the material they have access to it can also um just be you know the ab ability to make glass and magnify text because if you rely on written text and you don't have a way to magnify it uh your adult population loses the ability to read it at a certain point you know as mm. as your eyes sort of fail uh, as you get older so for these people oral tradition was crucial uh to all of this and was really trade secret and, you know, as these people were uh, conquered by larger forces from Europe and Asia, a lot of this information was lost, exactly how they were doing a lot of it. However, there has been enough of a cultural revival that we, archaeologists at least, has some understanding now of how this was done um, beyond just, uh, you know, uh, star charts which actually they did construct but they weren't ever it doesn't seem that they were ever used on board the ships interesting you know they it wasn't just rafts they were using they would have R right uh you know uh canoes they would have you know similar to hawaiian um canoes where it has uh two hulls oh okay uh, yeah, is that a pontoon yeah, so, boat is that what they call them? Like, is, um, that's a little different, obviously. I, I believe a pon like... pon It might might be, and I I don't I don't actually know if there's a specific difference that hmm. makes a, a pontoon boat different from like a a double hulled canoe. Right, um, right. That for for any of our boat experts out there, uh, you know, please yeah. please let us know. Us. And also, you know, for you know, t tell us about the the 
the the longing you have for the open sea you know mm, and, yeah. and you know i'm sure you write some nice poetry and sea shanties yes um so uh what they're also using though it seems uh is they were able to spot land with clouds and you're thinking clouds move how do you do this it uh from what we can tell from the from the oral tradition that is maintained today uh they were able to spot land based on subtle differences in the colors of clouds of far off clouds that an island with a coral atoll will give off a certain uh shade on a cloud uh, an island uh with a lagoon will give off a certain shade on a cloud and you can basically spot them uh as you are brought into the proximity of them uh it's huh. extremely interesting and you might say well you have to get to a certain proximity even like how do you even get there um it seems like they were able to um get into the general vicinity of islands uh just by swells on the ocean that certain waves will guide you towards an island purely based on their shape interesting so you could presumably follow things follow general directions like the sun the stars the migratory patterns of birds sure um swells would get you a little closer and then the clouds would be your smoking gun your your more specific there it is uh you know just on the horizon Oh, yeah, this is very, very cool. I like this a lot mm-hmm. um, because it's very interesting, right? It's this very it seems like a very intuitive way to do it, but also yeah. very perceptive. Yeah. Noticing everything around, which I love. I think it's amazing. Yes. Right. We, and I think we lose that a little bit. Um, right. And because that's the thing, like. Like with the star charts and things like that too. I never quite understood how that works. Number one, I mean, mm. I know there's a basic thing there, obviously, but at the same time, it seems very, it seems much more confusing, right, mm-hmm. than easy. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I guess this, in a way, if I can, I'm, I'm trying to connect this in my own mm-hmm. sense, and I'm, I wonder if anybody uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. listening is doing the same, but. Guess I kind of feel like it's almost like trying to find land if you're walking in a forest and you don't have a map and you don't have a sense of direction, but you know. It's like what we're mm. talking about in the city, right? Like you just start to feel it out and figure out like mm-hmm. landmarks where you're at. Now, obviously with land, you have things to be able to see that mark differences. There's literally marks on certain items and, and trees, rocks, whatever. But then I guess in the in the sea or in the in the Pacific Ocean, it's interesting mm-hmm. that it's it's the waves and it's the movements and mm-hmm. it's the clouds and that they do affect this thing. It's very fascinating. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really honestly in, in mm-hmm. just thinking about it constantly. Cause it's like, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you do follow those perceptions and it does start to make a lot more sense than just like, Oh, you know, they were lucky or they drifted or aliens showed them, you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. this is much more interesting. And also I think it's, inspirational in that way too if i can say that just as being human right that Mm -hmm. like we have the ability to do this and that's amazing Mm -hmm. over time Mm -hmm. of course but yeah and you know this there there seems to be multiple expansions of them so they clearly got better at this as as time went on 
Um, sure, that you makes know, sense. And, and, and again, there's, you know, we we call them Lapita because of the, the New Caledonian name, but we can only speculate um, in terms of a lot of their language. Um, mm. We can, we, we don't know in a lot about, like, what they thought of themselves in a way right. that, you know, we, we have an understanding of people that wrote about themselves or people that interacted with other cultures. You know, we have a sense of, you know, the cosmology of, of so many different cultures because there's their, their depictions of themselves, their deities. You know, with the, with the Lapita, one of the things that my professor would talk quite a bit about is really when you go to these islands, they are, there's not really much there like they are kind of the the stereotypical you know absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. um island but it otherwise just sort of appears like wild untouched uh you know island with some palm trees maybe some hills gotcha um, and when you dig sometimes the only evidence you can really see that people have been there is uh, you you know you're digging through the layers of sand that have been deposited over the years, and then suddenly you see one dark layer of soil, and you're like, "Whoa, that's the agricultural layer." Like there was one period mm. in this island's history where people were here, they were growing things, they were making the soil fertile, uh, and then one day they weren't here interesting in the case of a lot of these islands you can go there and you will see suddenly oh suddenly in the in the dirt we find the the bones of pigs and dogs and those were more than likely brought there as food by the uh by the islanders Um, right you'll see quite often unfortunately the extinction of whatever the indigenous bird population was uh to Mm. those islands the birds are typically the first thing to go whenever humans show up. Oh, <laughs> um, it's uh, and also not not necessarily just because of the humans, but often because wherever we go with agriculture, we tend to bring rats and pigs with us. Uh, and they're the ones that affect yeah. it, right? Yeah, I mean, this is even like to this day, this is a uh, and I, I, I want to be very clear, exacerbated by European colonization. Yeah, um, fair. <laughs> but, you know, this is stuff that we are still dealing with repercussions in Hawaii and, uh, you mm. know, Australia and New Zealand, all of these islands, um, you know, are, are feeling the impact of having, uh, you know, pigs and rats introduced to them. You know, these these very hardy animals that that eat everything. Um, right. So that th- you will you will see these reverberations on these seemingly abandoned islands. Um, you know, and you'll maybe find some evidence of their structures, but all of their structures would have been made of wood. They might have had, um, you know, sort of, uh, docks and houses that were kind of constructed the way we might see like bungalows today where, you know, they're basically built on the water, but have to be raised to accommodate the tide and, and, and things like that. but really all you find are the posts that would have held these mm. these up in the up in the air 
you might find the remnants of like fish traps uh, and the, the, the some of the tools. But again, all the tools are made from seashells and and uh, right. and giant clam shells. Uh, you know, you're you're looking for kind of in the same way that you could imagine uh, sort of looking for that needle in the haystack, looking for that habitable island. You know, now they're sifting through the sand on these islands, trying to find the evidence of these people uh, that that lived there. Um, You know, and we again, like, like I was saying before, we have evidence of them going back thousands of years. We do see that um, there were multiple waves and they had different interactions, it seems, with people that had been there before, but maybe had a less sophisticated method of consistently colonizing the islands. Um, There's been quite, it's still a pretty hotly debated topic. It's gotten some clarification with DNA, Mm -hmm. but... It is difficult to establish if the Lapita truly were the ancestors of like these Australasian people that we think of as as the indigenous peoples of New Zealand, Samoa, Australia, all of these places. Like mm-hmm. are are the Lapita their ancestors or are they a different group? And there seems to be some DNA evidence that the Lapita are not necessarily um were not the original indigenous peoples of these islands, um, but okay. rather they were this other cultural group that followed with their super sophisticated navigational technology. Mm. It seems that they were, you know, basically Polynesians, but were, we would call Asians, that they were coming down into the Polynesian islands from more mainland East Asia. Um, Okay, gotcha. But we, yeah, there were recently some skeletons found that they were able to get some DNA from. The interesting thing, and, you know, we, we want to try and figure out what their relationship was, you know, with like the people of Papua New Guinea and, and all, and Fiji and Tonga. Um, it seems like they did not intermix very hmm. much with the Australasian ethnic groups. Interesting. And when we do find evidence, and, you know, we 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 can't know, right? We right, can't know right. exactly what happened. However, the DNA evidence would suggest tentatively that this was these Lapita men and... Australasian women. So they were either marrying or, you know, having a more violent interaction with the indigenous peoples of those islands. Um, okay. So this is complicated, you know, to, and we, again, do not have, we, we, we don't know how this worked. Right, um, right. But there is evidence of, you know, a different shades of of colonization of these islands interesting Um, yeah so you know one thing to see how separate they were you know could be an indication um but maybe it was just men out on the sea they arrived somewhere new and married into the local population we just don't know yeah that's huh 
Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing, and and you'll love this. Ah. Uh, one thing that we can understand, uh, uh, and this is sort of because of the cultural revival that's happened, where uh, there's there's people uh, today in uh, in some of these islands that have maintained, particularly in the Solomons, maintained uh, the oral traditions. Uh, remember how I said earlier these were sort of trade secrets of um, navigation. Mm-hmm. They had an entire elite navigation guild. Whoa. Yes. So, and if you think about it, traveling in an open space uh, without any obvious mm-hmm. way to navigate, it's kind of like space travel and it's kind of like Dune. It is kind of like Dune. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of I mean, like Dune. I immediately thought of the space navigation guild. I was like, exactly. oh my God, it's making yeah. sense. Everything no, this, is Dune. This, 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 this was the reality for these That guys. is amazing. They had a special elite navigation guild. People whose lives, uh, whose life's trade was navigation. Whoa. That's amazing. In, in an almost mystical way. Right. How recent is that in terms of like how how recently have we have we known this? Is this like a new find? Um, this is a, a a slightly newer find because for a long time in the conception of the Lapita people there was there, again there wasn't really that much uh you know it, it was kind of back in the day in archaeology where you didn't ask the people that I got, were okay. still living there. That makes sense. Man, that then again, it's the profoundness of Dune, where you're like a, a mm-hmm. book representative of humanity in the future, thousands and thousands of years in the future, and then something like this shows up. I know I'm just you know fan you know yeah. fanboying over it, but at the same time, it is it's interesting, <laughs> like because it makes sense, right? You have a select group of people that have the knowledge, and they're going to be the ones that are able to travel right. massive distances because right. you have to figure it out. And even in Dune, there's no they don't use the computers, mm-hmm. right? They don't use right. technology to guide them. They use spice, and they have to mm-hmm. literally see into the distance. Right. Well, we'll give you an idea of this. Um, there was a Polynesian navigator named Tupai who uh, Captain Cook. Captain oh. James Cook, you know, the the famous explorer. Right. Um, he employed as a navigator. And Tupai, according to history, was able to draw a chart of islands uh, within a 2,000-mile uh, radius of his home island. What? Like, he just knew it. He had, he had knowledge of 130 islands. That's named, insane. He was able to name 74 of the islands on, his, on, his, on the chart that he made. Uh, yeah no it is it's It's pretty incredible i mean you it's a it's a chart that i i believe uh from from 1769 and it is uh actually still in existence oh wow it it is in the it is in the british museum there you go it's it's a really incredible artifact and, and a testament to just how sophisticated this navigational technology was yeah yeah it it it's um it's amazing and you can imagine the importance and the prestige of these people you know this was their yeah. trade no i mean it's amazing truly mm-hmm. and it, i mean it, it's this fascinating thing i think of mm-hmm. yeah they you know that they were doing this then and yeah. that and it was all it, in their heads yeah that's that's what i'm trying to get at too that it's, mm-hmm. it's all in, yeah it's all in their heads and they figured it out and they were masterful at it it was a craft it's a skill mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. it's this 
you know, technology, I mean, it's really not technology, but it is technology that's a certain thing, right? Like figuring out how to do this and then doing it well and then continuing it through generations and passing it mm-hmm. on. And I think the thing that's for us maybe now stressful or um, we want to imagine, like you were saying too earlier, it's like we don't know and we'll right. never know. And that sucks honestly Mm -hmm. because i want to know i want more right i want more of the story but at the same time there's something in that mystery that's also really interesting because Mm -hmm. it it happened of course we know that this happened we're not going to know how and what their interaction with the people was like and what that cross um Mm -hmm. you know like how they if they came upon these islands with people on them if they didn't if you know how this was working but ultimately just the fact that they did i think is so Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and we yeah. don't often think of that. I don't think we really think of migration for humans as much as we should in this way, where we did travel a lot, even places we think are more stagnant. We're often moving constantly, mm-hmm. um, whether that be for new opportunity or for just trade and for yeah. new sites or you know chasing yeah. beasts at the same time. Right? It's this this need for us to do that um and not in like mm-hmm. a boho kind of travel i'm going to travel the world type of way which is also right. you know, cool and great but at the same time Fill it's a different passport. it's a different thing Fill yeah well, your I'm passport a, not your wallet right i'm a world citizen truly right right <laughs> no but it is but it is interesting and then, and then i think though what's really fascinating to me and is that this is different than like you know, Europe to Eurasia land travel, right? Where you have migrations yeah. of people across mountains and forests and you start to recognize patterns. This is in the, the ocean. And mm-hmm. I mean, some of these islands are closer together. Some of them are not, I imagine. Yeah. But the fact that it becomes this land that's, you know, you can navigate and figure out this body of moving, you know, mm-hmm. surface is, yeah. it's really fascinating. And I think, and again, I think it's important rather than just being like, wow, it's amazing how they do that. There's no way they could do it. It's like acknowledging that they did and then learning from it, I think is a really right. important factor here. Right. I mean, it's, it's that thing of, I mean, even before when we talked about the Inca, you know, the sort of rising to the, the, the needs of, you know, the, the people as far as technology goes like um you know the inca didn't have the wheel because it really didn't make sense in terms of where they lived and yet they had this incredibly sophisticated counting system and and writing system and uh, organizational tactics um and you know the incredible textiles technology you know and this is another thing where you know these are people that you know uh were were traveling the ocean might have had some knowledge of uh antarctica um and you know but why go to antarctica there's nothing you really (laughs) want there it's cold Um, they're like it's very cold and very miserable right (laughs) unless you're a penguin and so when when you look at these things and you sort of you you can understand a little bit more the drive to uh you know want to expand and travel the the need that this technology was answering you know it's a great testament to human ingenuity oh yeah um 
and it's uh it but it it reflects a, a people in their time and place and mm, you know absolutely. they were they were getting further and clearly we were having you know more sophisticated technology as time went on and you know we have evidence uh for them uh you know for these different waves of lapita uh migration and influence you know coming into the common era uh as well you know there seem it seems that there were different time periods where maybe there was an expansion Mm. uh of their influence and then you see maybe a bit more of a deviation and that could maybe be a sign that oh there probably isn't a centralized culture or government or political system in place and these guys are kind of doing their own thing and then later you see another sort of standardization it seems like there's there's an ebb and flow of right. um of influence the the way you kind of would anywhere as as things solidify and then break apart it's gotcha. um, you know it it they're somewhere in there is a whole complicated history as you know as varied as anywhere else on earth hmm yeah yeah no i mean it's very interesting it it makes a lot of sense and i think Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i guess i again i just want to know more i mean did they get to antarctica right what did they did they bring coats like did they make coats like right how do you i I just think that that's so interesting Mm -hmm. but then right like even seeing that ebb and flow, as you're saying, of structure of government, that there's no real... I mean, maybe there was, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like there was like a restricted city-state because, again, that wouldn't make sense where they are, Mm -hmm. right? It would make Mm -hmm. more sense to be going outwards, gathering resources, and then continuing on with life in these different places, but they have a system that they can communicate Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. each other because they can just go back. And I think that's the important part there, right? Where it's not thinking of it as these bigger trips where you're not returning but rather that actually these are all connected and yeah it, it's it solves that problem too of where do you take all of your people once you start getting in a small place and just oh yeah, yeah. we leave and then we live on the sea and we're constantly moving and i think that it's right yeah it is yeah it's it's a testament to human ingenuity absolutely and i think it's one of the really you know it's the special parts to to be that we should celebrate more i feel like because like mm-hmm. even I'm, like one of the things i'm having in my thoughts in my head now it's you had answers to this problem of navigation in one of the hardest places to navigate, right? 5,000, 6,000 years ago. And we we think, oh, well, we needed steamships to be able to do that now, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that if you don't have a steamship or if you don't have a sail, you know, the, the massive galleons of, you know, European um, civilizations or right, even right. motorboats now? How do you do this? It's like, mm-hmm. you didn't need that. If anything, it's more of like a handicap somewhat, but it's just interesting that like, you can figure out these situations and I wonder if they can be applied now, right? Mm-hmm. Like how could how could that type of navigation, not in a in a trade way or this like exploitative way, but how can that knowledge mm-hmm. somehow be passed back down for a betterment to then improve the way that we even look about, I mean, we're talking about travel, we'll just keep using travel, right? And as, mm-hmm. as an example to not, you know, break up ecosystems or destroy yeah, them. Yeah. Not to say that there's always never a... a uh, a reverberation right of yeah of where we go because there always is unfortunately that's mm-hmm. just how it works but yeah i mean yeah well because we yeah we can't look at uh we while there's plenty of instances of you know the uh um 
you know, pe people living in some kind of uh, equitable relationship with nature, you know, there's, you know, a, a, you know, you can look at the the Maori arriving in New Zealand uh, about the same time as a little bit before, uh, you know, Columbus discovering America. Mm. And right after that is the extinction of the Moa and yeah. Haas Eagle, um, you know, it's uh you know that that's a more recent uh you know sort of introduction of a people to an area but uh mm -hmm. you know it's 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 worth keeping in mind that you know it you know human presence is is not without consequence yeah i think it's important to to note that and remember it yeah. and i and i also think that like like it just brings me back i think i might have told you about this but we had a mm -hmm. conversation in one of my classes when we were at um when we were in Italy and, you know, we were talking about the difference between, I think, like civilization and nature, right? Mm -hmm. And someone was making a, a case that an urban area of civilization, right, versus a natural one. And there's people that lived in nature and they didn't necessarily fall into those tropes and, and consequences of civilization. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but my answer was that, well, civilization comes with people. So even if you live in a natural environment, you're still modifying that environment to fit your needs. So therefore it yeah. creates a civilization, regardless of how simple that is or straightforward that is, yeah. or complex where you're building cities versus you're building amongst the trees. You're still tearing down those resources to make something. You're still flattening mm -hmm. the ground that you walk on. You have a pre we have presence, um, right, right. but it's also acknowledging that and watching it, right? It's mm -hmm. not, it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, if we, it, it is, I think, something to just be mindful of. And then you get into really drastic issues of colonization and extinct animals, as we know, because that has happened by our hand. But it isn't, yeah, I, I think it's just important to remember. But there isn't mm -hmm. this, like, binary alternate solution that it, we haven't thought of. Like, we have to go back to nature. We have to live amongst nature. And I'm like, well... It's nature is survival, so we're still going to have to survive, and there's still going to be some sort of loss there, regardless, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not to dismiss it or to be like a pessimist at all, but I think that that's worth noting, absolutely. Yeah, gotta gotta watch out for those sandworms. Gotta watch out for the sandworms. They're gonna get you first, and you have to figure mm -hmm. out that just like the Fremen had to adapt. Mm -hmm. You know, there you go. We have to get the sand. You've you have been to, to Saturn. Ride the sandworms. I've been to Saturn. <laughs> sandworms, right? <laughs> I don't remember that. Did, you <laughs> well, like, okay, because I showed you Beetlejuice before you had read Dune, yes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that has partially always uh, <laughs> been my vision of the sandworms. See, I saw the David Lynch version way, way back in my childhood. So that's mm. partially influencing it. I don't remember it too much, though, but I think that once I saw Beetlejuice and then I read Dune that kind of influenced me a little bit. And I mean, if you see, you know, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, it's pretty similar. I think he definitely yeah, took yeah. some inspiration off of that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, just it, it's a delicate balance. You know, I yeah. just I, I just think, you know, there could have been one person, you know, dressed in stripes, you know, in just as a homage. Yeah, as, as a nod. You know, I think so. I mean, if, if Paul can say you're good, are you good? I think we yeah. could have had some sort of Beetlejuice reference. Maybe in right. part two, you know, the mm -hmm. part two that no one knew we were getting. Right, um, right. Well, one day we'll talk about the Mongolian death worm. Uh, and 
If we haven't already. We have. I was going to say, oh, we God. had a whole bit about oh, that. <laughs> yes. We literally, I think, made Mongolian, a Doom joke. Yes, Mongolian death metal. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, well, one day we'll we'll have to also talk about uh, Roy Chapman Andrews in more depth as well in his expeditions for sure. the Gobi Desert. Um, but I I'm I've been fascinated by this story since I took the, since I took this mm. class years ago, and I I'm glad I got to got a chance to bring yeah. it to the museum as well. I mean, do you feel a little less adrift, a little more capable mm. of navigating, or should we should we turn off the simulation? I'm definitely feeling like I'm getting it more. Things are making sense, mm -hmm. but maybe maybe we can start to power down. We're getting a little, a little sunburned. I'm a getting a little, sunburn. yeah, a little too much. It's starting to. It's, I'm starting to get a bit dehydrated. So maybe we can, right, right. we can uh, start to disembark. But man, this has mm -hmm. been. I mean, also with the experience paired with this, it's really been incredible. Thank you so much, Zan, for doing this, for bringing the story to the museum, for really giving a great in-depth look at it and a story mm -hmm. to it. It's. I'm probably going to be thinking about this for the next like four months. I can already tell like just <laughs> the fascination, you know, it, because it is so interesting and it's another, again, very small, but large scale topic that I off, you know, doesn't really make major history books, at least if you went to public education and don't, mm -hmm. if you don't seek this out, you probably won't find it. So I think it's important for us to be able to, to hear about this and talk about it more and also investigate it further um mm -hmm. and i i mean i wonder in the future if we will find more answers if there'll be more you know uncoverings on these islands or perhaps not but i think regardless it's important we maybe don't forget um yeah. or maybe we will i don't know but again it's just interesting knowing this now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and uh yeah if ho hopefully there will because like i said there's ongoing research on this stuff going on right now and mm. we might have an update in the not oh. so distant future uh hopefully you know hopefully people will keep uh researching this you know there's lots of archaeologists sweating in the <laughs> on the sunny beaches of polynesia <laughs> right you know, well they're they're <laughs> they're 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 working hard you know and it's like i'm just kind of a you know i know this is not the reality i know this uh -huh. is not you know, I, I I'm I'm gonna say something stupid. I'm just like picturing, you know, you know they're they're digging, they're sweating, right, right. you know. But like, you know, then they like reach down and they've got like some like fruity uh, <laughs> island drink, you know. And it's like, oh god, I'm almost, ugh, I'm almost out of my. Uh... <laughs> what is this? Is my, a... my my margarita supply is right. Low. Yeah, they got the they have the piece of fruit just stuck in it with the swirly straw mm -hmm, going around, mm -hmm. so that maybe they don't have to work too hard to get it. I wonder yeah, if that's no, the that, reality. That's, <laughs> I like to imagine that that's like what a you know what grad students and and PhD yeah. candidates you know for these these tenured professors. <laughs> Right. Like they're 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 mixing drinks on these islands for the bur professors. The baristas in the background. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I wonder if the crabs get annoying. I imagine they do. Mm. Well you know. well, I mean, I don't know how much this overlaps with like coconut crabs. Um like have you heard that thing about coconut crabs might have eaten Amelia Earhart? 
Yes, a little bit, but not not like I've I've heard that as a passing theory, right? Because they yeah, that like she might have landed on an island and then just uh, got carried away by crabs. That's a horrible way to think about it, though, right? Like that's not yeah. as fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah. God, maybe I we mean, gotta talk I, about her I, at some point. Yeah, I read a book once um, called Fluke about uh, a that whales are actually like uh, like ships for these like biological creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean. And this guy gets taken down by a whale to visit their civilization and meets Amelia Earhart and then falls in love with her daughter. What? That, that, I mean, the first half, but I'm a little lost in the second part. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fascinating. I wonder if that's the thing. And uh, Oh, okay. It's a fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Was it good? Mm-hmm. It's a weird book. It's by, um, oh my god, what's his name? His name's like Tim Looney. Okay. Like Tim, Tim Booney. Tim. Tim something. Tim something. And he's got a lot of that one's called Fluke. He's got another book named uh, The Lust Lizard. Okay. Uh, about That's... about a, uh, a a giant aquatic reptile that comes on to shore and makes everybody horny. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Of a plot. Yeah, I guess yeah. some spice. I read some weird books in high school. I mean, who didn't? To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad we got to talk yeah. about this and, you know, take a little bit of a, a peek back. And mm. yeah, maybe we'll get to check back in on this. As like I said, there's DNA evidence going on right now um, uh, that might illuminate more uh, about how, just how much these uh, people were um, were. Uh, or weren't ancestors of contemporary Polynesians, or if right. you know, it's. I mean, it's it's fascinating either way. Either true, one, true, true. you had this incredible, uh, ancient, widespread empire, or it means you had multiple, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> widespread <laughs> empires that were traveling and colonizing the Pacific. Both equally exciting. I think maybe the latter even more so, right? Because it just adds yeah. more it adds more diversity, adds more depth to it. It's very mm-hmm. it's very interesting. And it's again not as this linear, very straightforward history that I feel like we're used to, that it's very, you know, uh complex and nuanced right. as well. But there's a lot going on all of the time, even way mm-hmm. back when, when it's not just, you know, we well, we went from the Rift Valley to Mesopotamia and then we eventually figured everything else out. And it's like it's actually a, it's a bit of a big yada yada yada. I mean yeah. it is though, right? It's the one thing I always hated mm-hmm. about history class. It's like, okay, we got this. I want to get to the other thing. When are we gonna talk about that? Mm-hmm. When are we gonna talk about mm-hmm. Byzantines? I don't want to talk about Mesopotamia for the eighth time. I mean we're <laughs> we're missing half of it anyway. In terms but Joe, 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 there's uh-huh. two rivers. Mesopotamia means right. the land between the rivers. Oh, did it? I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that 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 used to drive me nuts. And I remember like I would ask mm-hmm. that to the um, my sixth grade history teacher, like, "Oh, are we gonna learn about the Byzantines?" Because I knew what they were because I was playing mm-hmm. Age of Empires mm-hmm. as I did. And they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, um, I don't think we're gonna get there uh, just yet." And I was all disappointed as a twelve year old, you know. But then I think I realized something is that they probably didn't know who that was. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling she didn't uh, know who they were. To be very yeah. honest, I was very annoyed as a kid that biology class never got to dinosaurs or 
never stayed with dinosaurs as long as I wanted. I was uh, incredibly offended in my sixth grade biology textbook. Um, it's labeled Dimetrodon as a dinosaur. And I can't do that. Had can't to do let, that. I had to let everyone in the class know why that was wrong. <laughs> did they? Did were they into it or like no? No. No. <laughs> I was obnoxious and no one cared. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Um. But yeah. Uh. But now we've got. We found the right people. We found people it's that true. care. Joe, I care about what's going on in your life. What's going on? Well. Um. I currently have my work in two exhibitions, one being Home on uh, Art9's website. You can check that out as well as the, uh, I think there's a virtual exhibition. Did you just put catalog. up your art in someone's home? No, the exhibition is called Home, uh, but uh, my home okay. is in the art. So there you go. Uh, okay. It's okay. very fun. And then the You didn't other... just break into someone's house and was no, like, no, no, this no, is gonna... my installation. No, I'm sure someone's going to do that eventually as an artwork, though, and I kind of yes. hope not. Um mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be good. Who knows? And then the other, uh, uh, the other one that I'm a part of, it's a film festival by uh, Liftoff Global Network, and it's online. They're hosting a bunch of uh, films on there. That's going to be, I think, for a week or so under the first time filmmaker uh, session. So feel free to check that mm -hmm. out. I think you have mm -hmm. to pay, which is kind of annoying. But if you do want to watch those and do end up paying, you should vote for my work. When light takes form, please, so I can win some and things. And it's only on pay-per-view. <laughs> I mean, it kinda, it's Vimeo pay-per-view, I guess. Uh, but if you do check that out, that would be amazing. Also yes. on my website, because I finally added this project there, you can check out some of my recent works and some uh, excerpts of that video there. Mm -hmm. um, but it is you know, fully on view right now. Uh, Zan, how about you? What do you got going on? Yeah, yeah, cool stuff, cool stuff. Thanks, man. I um, actually... Uh, for the entire month of April, uh, my piece Drop Cloth will be up at uh, Art Center East in Vernon, Connecticut. Uh, nice. I'm a part of a show there uh, called Still Lifes, The Legacy of Charles Ethan Porter. Ooh. Um, I'm very excited to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, uh, to e even if, you know, he died so long ago, I'm a uh, thrilled to be connected in any way fair enough fair <laughs> uh, enough to, to, to an artist of that stature uh yeah so i'm really excited to be in that show um uh forever in 10 days my uh mfa thesis show is going to be opening uh may 20th uh at nice. the tops medford gallery um i'll be there uh you know, uh, you know, come by, say hello, uh, look at the sure. art. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm, I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait till it's ten days before it, and you could be like forever for ten days in ten days. <laughs> I don't think anybody thought that title through, but that's okay. Uh, it's gonna be fun. A lot of promotional opportunities, but so oh, exciting. Yes. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, man. Yeah. Um, also, uh, my website's up and running. I've got some small ready-to-ship works available. Uh, you can uh, go there to zampeters.com and uh, peruse uh, or, you know, just check out whatever I'm working on. Um, let's see. Uh, you can find me at Xanosaurus on Instagram. You can find me at, at Art on Instagram. If you'd like to follow the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. 
Uh, we appreciate any uh, messages, any corrections, any comments. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this on a podcatcher, we love a nice rating and review. It's much appreciated. Absolutely. Um, and a yeah. follow, too, if you could. That mm-hmm. would also be yes. amazing. Yes, that would be great. Uh, yeah, uh, we will see you next time uh, at the Uncanny County Museum. Until then, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Savino. Bye. Bye.